Chapter 4. The Field of Comalin. All about the hills the host of Mordor raged. The captains of the west were foundering in a gathering sea. The sun gleamed red, and under the wings of the Nazgul, the shadows of death fell dark upon the earth. Aragorn stood beneath his banner, silent and stern, as one lost in thought of things long past or far away. But his eyes gleamed like stars that shone upon the brighter as the night deepens. Upon the hilltop stood Gandalf, and he was white and cold, and no shadow fell on him. The onslaught of Mordor broke like a wave on the beleaguered hills, voices roaring like a tide amid the wreck of crash of arms. As if to his eyes some sudden vision had been given, Gandalf stirred, and he turned. Then he lifted up his hands and cried in a loud voice, ringing above the den, The eagles are coming! And many voices answered, crying, the eagles are coming. The eagles are coming. The host of Mordor looked up and wondered at what the sight might mean. There came Gwalior the Windlord and Landravil his brother, the greatest of all the eagles of the north, mightiest of the descendants of old Thorondor, who built his aeries upon the inaccessible peaks of the encircling mountains when Middle-earth was young. Behind them in long swift lines came all their vassals from the northern mountains, speeding on a gathering wind. Straight down upon the Nazgul they bore, stooping suddenly out of the high ears, and the rush of their wings, wide as they passed over, was like a gale. But the Nazgul turned and fled, and vanished into Mordor's shadow, hearing a sudden terrible call out of the dark tower, and even at that moment all the hosts of Mordor trembled, Doubt clutched their hearts, their laughter failed, their hands shook and their limbs were loosed. The power that drove them on was filled them with hate and fury was wavering. Its will was removed from them, and now looking in the eyes of the enemies, they saw that a deadly light was there, and they were afraid. Then all the captains of the west cried aloud, for their hearts were filled with new hope in the midst of darkness. Out from the beleaguered hills the knights of Gondor, riders of Rohan, Dunedin of the north, Close serried companies drove against their wavering foes, piercing the press with a thrust of bitter spears. But Gandalf lifted up his arms and called out once more in a clear voice, Stand, men of the West, stand and wait. This is the hour of doom. And even as he spoke, the earth rocked beneath their feet. Then rising swiftly up, far above the towers of the Black Gate, high above the mountains, a vast soaring darkness sprang into the sky and a mighty flickering of fire. The earth groaned and quaked. The towers of the teeth swayed, tottered, and fell down. The mighty rampart crumbled. The black gate was hurled in ruin, and from far away, now dim, now growing, now mounting into the clouds, there came a drumming rumble, a roar, a long echoing of ruinous noise. The realm of Sauron is ended, said Gandalf. The ring-bearer has fulfilled his quest. And as the captains gazed south to the land of Mordor, it seemed to them that black against the pall of the cloud there rose a huge shape of shadow, an impenetrable lightning crown filling all the sky. Enormous it reared above the world and stretched out towards them a vast, threatening hand, terrible but impotent, for even as it leaned over them, a great wind took it and it was all blown away and passed. And then a hush fell. 
The captains bowed their heads, and when they looked up again, behold, the enemies are flying, and the power of mortal is scattering like dust in the wind. As when death smites the swollen brooding thing that inhabits their crawling hill and holds them all in sway, ants will witless and purposelessly and enfeebly die. So the creatures of Sauron, orc or troll or beast spell-enslaved, ran hither and thither mindless. Some slew themselves or cast themselves into pits, or fled wailing back to hide in holes of dark, lightless places far from hope. But the men of Ruin and of Arad, Easterling and Southern, saw the ruin of their war, and the great majesty and glory of the captains of the West, and those that were deepest and longest in evil servitude, hating the West, and yet were men proud and bold, in their turn now gathered themselves for a last stand of desperate battle. But most fled eastward as they could, and some cast their weapons down and sued for mercy. Then Gandalf, leaving all such matters of battle and command to Aragorn, and the other lords, stood upon the hilltop and called, and down to him came the great eagle, Gwathea the Windlord, and stood before him. Twice you have borne me, Gwanhuyo, my friend, said Gandalf. Thrice shall pay for all, if you are willing. You will not find me a burden much greater than when you bore me from Zarkaziskil, where my old life burned away. I would bear you, answered Gwathea, whether you will, even if you are made of stone. Then come and let your brother go with us, and have some of your other folk who is most swift, for we have need of a speed greater than any wind, outmatching the wings of the Nazgul. The north wind blows, but we shall outfly it, said Gwathir. And he lifted up Gandalf and sped away south, and with him went Lanreville and Mindalur, young and swift. And they passed over Anduin and Gulroth, and saw all the land in ruin and tumult beneath them and before them, Mount Doom blazing, pouring out its fire. Oh, I am glad you're still here with me, said Frodo. Here at the end of all things, Sam. Yes, I am with you, Master, said Sam, laying Frodo's wounded hand gently on his chest. And you're with me, and the journey's finished. But after coming all that way, I don't want to give up just yet. It's not like me somehow, if you understand. Oh, maybe not, says Frodo, but it's like things are in the world. Hope fail. Hopes fail, and an end comes. And we only have a little time to wait now. We are lost in ruin and downfall, and there is no escape. Well, Master, we could at least go further from this dangerous place from here, from this crack of doom, if that's its name, couldn't we? Come, Mr. Frodo, let's go down the path at any rate. Very well, Sam, if you wish to go, I'll come, said Frodo. And they rose and went slowly down the winding road, and even as they passed towards the mountain's quaking feet, a great smoke and steam belched from Samoth Noir, and the side of the cone was riven open, and a huge fiery vomit rolled in slow thunderous cascade down the eastern mountainside. Frodo and Sam could go no further. Their last strength of mind and body was swiftly ebbing. They had reached a low ashen hill piled at the mountain's foot, but from, from it there was no more escape. It was an island now, not long to endure amidst the torments of Orodrun. All about it earth gaped, and from the deep rifts in the pits smoke and fumes leapt up. 
Beneath them the mountain was convulsed. Great rents opened in its side. Slow rivers of fire came down long slopes towards them. Soon they would be engulfed. A rain of hot ash was falling. They stood now, and Sam, still holding his master's hand, caressed it. He sighed. What a tale we've been in, Mr. Frodo, haven't we? And I wish I could hear it told. Do you think they'll say, now comes the story of nine-fingered Frodo and the Ring of Doom? And everyone will hush, like we did, when in Rivendell they told us the tale of Baron one-handed and the Great Jewel. I wish I could hear it. And I wonder how it will go after our part. But even as he spoke so, to keep fear away until the very last, his eyes still strayed north, north into the eye of the wind, to where the sky far off was clear, as the cold blast rising to a gale drove back the darkness and the ruin of the clouds. And so it was that Gondria saw them with his keen, far-seeing eyes as down the wild wind he came, and daring the great peril of the skies, he circled in the air, two small, dark figures, forlorn, hand in hand upon a little hill, while the world shook under them and gasped and rivers of fire drew near. And even as he espied them and came swooping down, he saw them fall, worn out, or choked with fumes and heat, or stricken down by despair at last, hiding their eyes from death. Side by side they lay, and down swept Gothia, and down came Landreville, and Melnahur the swift, and in a dream, not knowing what fate had befallen them, the wanderers were lifted up and borne far away, out of the darkness and the fire. When Sam awoke, he found that he was lying on some soft bed. But over him gently swaying, wide beechen bows, and through their young leaves the sunlight glimmered, green and gold. All the air was full of sweet, mingled scent. He remembered that smell, the fragrance of the Thilian. Bless me, he mused, how long have I been asleep? For the scent it brought him back to the day, when he had lit his little fire under a sunny bank, and for the moment all else between was out of waking memory. He stretched and drew a deep breath. Oh, what a dream I've had, he muttered. I'm glad to wake. He sat up, and then he saw that Frodo was lying beside him, and slept peacefully, one hand behind his head, the other resting upon the coverlet. It was his right hand, and the third finger was missing. Full memory came back, and Sam cried aloud, It wasn't a dream. Then where are we? And then a voice spoke softly behind him, In the land of Thilion, and in the keeping of the king, and he awaits you. With that, Gandalf stood before him, robed in white, his beard now gleaming like pure snow in the twinkling of the leafy sunlight. Well, Mr. Samwise, how do you feel? he said. But Sam lay back and stared with an open mouth, and for a moment, between bewilderment and great joy, he could not answer. At last he gasped, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happening to the world? A great shadow has departed said Gandalf. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music, or like water in a parched land. And he listened. As he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter 
the pure sound of merriment, for days upon days without count. It fell upon his ears like the echo of all the joys he had ever known. But he himself burst into tears. And then a sweet rain would pass down a wind of spring and sun will shine out. <laughs> Sorry. As sweet rain will pass down a, a wind of spring and the sun will shine out all the clearer. His tears ceased and his own laughter welled up and laughing sprang from his bed. How do I feel? he cried. Well, I don't know how to say it. I feel, I feel, he waved his arms in the air. I feel like spring after winter and sun on the leaves and like trumpets and harps and all the songs I have ever heard. He stopped and he turned towards his master. But how's Mr. Frodo? he said. Isn't it a shame about his poor hand? But I hope he's all right other way. Otherwise, he's had a cruel time. I'm all right otherwise, said Frodo, sitting up and laughing in his turn. I fell asleep again, waking for you, Sam. You sleepyhead. I was awake early this morning, and now it must be nearly noon. Noon? said Sam, trying to calculate. Noon of what day? The 14th of the new year, said Gandalf. Or if you like, the 8th of April in the Shire reckoning. There were always 30 days of March or Wrath in the Shire calendar. But in Gondor, the new, new year will always now begin upon the 25th of March when Sauron fell and when you were brought out of the fire to the king. He has tended you and now he awaits you. You shall eat and drink with him. When you are ready, I will lead you to him. The king, said Sam. What king and who is he? The king of Gondor and the lord of the western lands, said Gandalf. And he has taken back all his ancient realm. He will ride soon with his crowning, but he waits for you. Oh, what shall we wear, said Sam. For all he could see was the old and tattered clothes that they had been journeying in, lying folded on the ground beside their beds. The clothes that you wore on the way to Mordor, said Gandalf. Even the orc rags that you bore in the black land, Frodo, shall be preserved. No silk and linens, nor any armour or heraldry could be more honourable. But later, I'll find some other clothes, perhaps. Then he held out his hands to them, and they saw that one shone with light. What have you got there? Frodo cried. Can it be? Yes, I've brought you two treasures. They were found on Sam when you were rescued. Lady Galadriel's gifts. Your glass, Frodo. And your box, Sam. You'll be glad to have these safe again. When they were washed and clad and had eaten a light meal, the hobbits followed Gandalf. They stepped out of the beech grove in which they had lain and passed on to a long green lawn, glowing in the sunshine, bordered by stately dark-leaved trees laden with scarlet blossom. Behind them they could hear the sound of falling water and a stream ran down before them between flowering banks until it came to a greenwood at the lawn's foot and passed them under an archway of trees. There they could see the shimmer of water far away. As they came to the opening in the wood, they were surprised to see knight in bright mail and tall guards in silver and black standing there, who greeted them with honour and bowed before them. And then one blew a long trumpet and they went on through the aisle of trees beside the singing stream. So they came to a wide green land 
and beyond it was a broad river and a silver haze out of which rose a long wooded isle, and many ships lay beside its shores. But on the field where they now stood, a great host was drawn up, in ranks and companies glittering in the sun. And as the hobbits approached, storms were unsheathed, sorry, swords were unsheathed, and spears were shaken, and horns and trumpets sang. And men cried with many voices and in many tongues, Long live the halflings, praise them with great praise. Kur ifwana anan, alaga funatha. Praise them with great praise, Frodo and Samwise. Dua Bahel, Koninananun, Elgareo. Praise them, Elgareo. Alaita te alaita, Andava la falamet. Praise them, Koman landor, Elaita randa. Praise them, the ring bearers, and praise them with great praise. And so the red blood blushing in their faces and their eyes shining with wonder. Frodo and Sam went forward and saw that amidst the clamorous host that was set, three high seats built of green turves. Beside and behind the seat upon the right floated, white on green, a great horse running free. And upon the left was a banner, silver upon blue, a swan, a ship swan proud, fearing on the sea. But behind the highest throne, in the midst of all the great standard, it was spread upon the breeze. There was a white tree, flowered upon a sable field, beneath a shining crown and seven glittering stars. On the throne sat a mail-clad man. A great sword was laid across his knees, but he wore no helm. As they drew near, he rose. And then they knew him, changed as he was, so high, so glad of face, kingly, lord of men, dark-haired with eyes of grey. Frodo ran to meet him, and Sam followed close behind. Well, if this isn't the crown of all, he said, Strider, or I'm still asleep. Yes, Sam, Strider, said Aragorn. It is a long way, is it not, from Bree, where you didn't like the look of me? A long way for us all, but yours has been the darkest road. And then to Sam's surprise and utter confusion, he bowed his knee before them, and taking them by the hand, Frodo upon his right and Sam upon his left, he led them to the throne, and setting them upon it, he turned to the men and the captains who stood by and spoke, so that his voice rang over all the host, crying, Praise them with great praise. And when the glad shout had swelled up and died away again, to Sam's final and complete satisfaction and pure joy, a minstrel of Gondor stood forth and knelt and begged leave to sing. And behold, he said, Lo, the lords and knights of men of valour unashamed, kings and princes, fair people of Gondor and riders of Rohan, and ye sons of Elrond and Dunedin of the north, and elf and dwarf and great hearts of the Shire and all free folk of the west, listen now to my lay. For I will sing to you a Frodo of the Nine Fingers and the Ring of Doom. And when Sam heard that, he laughed aloud for sheer delight. He stood up and cried, Oh, great glory and splendor, all my wishes have come true. And then he wept, and all the host laughed and wept in the midst of their merriment. In tears, the clear voice of the minstrel rose like silver and gold, and all men were hushed. And he sang to them, now in elven tongue, now in the speech of the West, until their hearts, wounded with sweet words, overflowed, and their joy was like swords, 
and they passed thought out into regions where pain and delight flowed together and tears were the very wine of blessedness. And at last, as the sun fell down from the noon, the shadows of the trees lengthened. He ended. Praise them with great praise, he said, and knelt. Then the Aragon stood up, and all the host arose, and they passed to pavilions that made ready to eat and drink and make merry while the day lasted. Frodo and Sam were led apart and brought to a tent, and there with their old raiment was taken off, but folded and set aside with honour, and clean linen was given to them. Then Gandalf came in, in his arms to the wonder of Frodo, who bore the sword and the elven cloak of the Mithril cloak, a coat that had been taken from an immortal. For Sam he brought the coat of gilded mail, and in his elven cloak all healed of the soils and hurt that he had suffered, and he laid before them two swords. Oh, I don't wish for any sword, said Frodo. Well, tonight at least you should wear one, said Gandalf. Then Frodo took the small sword that had belonged to Sam, and laid it at his side in Sirith Ungol. Sting I give to you, Sam, he said. Oh no, master, Mr Bilbo gave it to you, and it goes with a silver coat. He wouldn't want anyone else to wear it now. Frodo gave way, and Gandalf, as if he was there a squire, knelt and girt the sword belts about them, and then rising he set circlets of silver upon their heads. And when they were arrayed, they went to the great feast, and sat at the king's table with Gandalf and King Eomo of Rohan, and the prince Imrahil and the chief captains, and there also was Gimli and Legolas. But when after the standing silence wine was brought, there came in two esquires to serve the kings, or so they seemed to be. One was clad in the silver and the sable of the guards of Minas Tirith, and the other in white and green. But Sam wondered what such young boys were doing in an army of mighty men. Then suddenly as they drew near, he could see them plainly. He exclaimed, Why look, Mr Frodo, look there, if it isn't Mr Pippin, and Peregrine Took, I should say, and Mr Merry. How have they grown? Bless me, I can see there's more tales to tell than ours. Oh, there are indeed, said Pippin, turning towards them, and we'll begin telling them as soon as the feast is ended. In the meantime, you can try Gandalf. He's not so close as he used to be, though he laughs now more than he talks. For the present, Mary and I are busy. We are knights of the city and of the mark, as I hope you observed. At last, the glad day ended, and when the sun was gone and round moon rode slowly above the mist of Anduin and flickering through the fluttering leaves, Frodo and Sam sat under the whispering trees amidst the fragrance of fair Ithilien and talked deep into the night with Mary and Pippin and Gandalf, and after a while Legolas and Gimli joined them. There Frodo and Sam learned much of all that had happened to the company after the fellowship was broken away on the evil day at Path Galin by Roros Falls. And still there was always more to talk about, and ask, and tell. Orcs, talking trees, leagues of grass and galloping riders, glittering caves and white towers and golden halls and battles and tall ships sailing, all these passed before the Sam's mind until he felt bewildered. But amidst all that wonder, he returned always to astonishment at the size of Merry and Pippin. He made them stand back and back to back with Frodo himself, and he scratched his head. I can't understand it at your age, he said, but there it is, you're three inches taller than you ought to be, or I'm a dwarf. You certainly are not, said Gimli, 
But what did I say? Mortals can't go drinking end drafts and expect no more to come to them than a pot of beer. End drafts, said Sam. There you go on about ants again. But what they are beats me. Oh, it would take weeks before we get these things sized up. Weeks indeed, said Pippin. And then Frodo will have to be locked up in a tower in Minas Tirith and ride it all down. Otherwise he'll forget half of it, and poor old Bilbo will be terribly disappointed. At length, Gandalf rose. The hands of the king are hands of healing, dear friends. But you went into the very brink of death ere he recalled you, putting forth all his power, and sent you into the sweet forgetfulness of sleep. And though you have indeed slept long and blessedly, it is still now time to sleep again. And not only Sam and Frodo here, said Gimli, but you too, Pippin. I love you, if only because of the pains you have cost me, which I shall never forget. Nor shall I forget finding you on the hill of the last battle. But for Gimli the dwarf, you have been lost then. At least I know now the lock of a hobbit's foot. Though it be all that can be seen out of a heap of bodies. And when I heaved that great carcass off you, I made sure that you were dead. I could have torn out my own beard. And it's only a day yet since you were first up and abroad again. So to bed you go, and so shall I. And I, said Legolas, shall walk in the woods of this fair land, which is rest enough. If days, in the days to come, if my elven lord allows, some of our folk shall remove hither, and when we come it shall be blessed for a while. For a while. A month, a life, a hundred years, and men. But Anduin is near, and Anduin leads down to the sea. To the sea. To the sea. To the sea. The white. Girls are crying, the wind is blowing, and the white foam is flying. West away, the round sun is falling. Great ship, do you hear them calling? The voices of my people that have gone before me. I will leave, I will leave the woods that bore me. For our days are ending and our years have fallen failing. I will pass the white waters sailing Long are ways on the last shore falling Sweet are the voices in the last isle calling In every sea and anemone no man can discover where the leaves fall not land of my people forever. And so singing, Legolas went away down the hill. Then others also departed, 
And Frodo and Sam went to their beds and slept. And in the morning they rose again, in hope and peace, and they spent many days in the Thilion. For the field of Kilmarlan, where the host was now encamped, was near the Hanath Anun, and the stream that flowed from its force could be heard in the night as they rushed down through its rocky gate, and passed through the flowery meads into the tides of Underwin by the Isle of Carandros. The hobbits wandered here and there, visiting again the places that they had passed before, and Sam hoped always in some shadow of the woods or secret glade to catch, maybe, a glimpse of the great Oliphant. And when he learnt that the siege of Gondor there had been a great number of these beasts, but they were all destroyed, he thought it a sad loss. Well, one can't be everywhere at once, I suppose, he said. I missed a lot, seemingly. In the meantime, the host made ready for the return of Minas Tirith, and returned to Minas Tirith. The weary rested and the hurt were healed, for some had laboured and fought much with the remnants of the Easterlings and Southrons, until all was subdued. And latest of all, those returned who had passed into Mordor, and destroyed the fortresses of the north of the land. That at last, when the month of May was drawing near, and the captains of the west set out again, they went aboard the ship with their men, and sailed from Carandros down Anduin to Oskaliath, and there they remained for one day. And one day after they came to the green fields of Pelennor, and saw again the white towers under tall Mindalwen, in the city of men of Gondor, the last memory of westerness that had passed through darkness and fire to a new day. And there, in the midst of the fields, they set up their pavilions and awaited the morning, for it was the eve of May, and the king would enter his gates with the rising of the sun.